Welcome, everybody, back to The Root and Edified Show. I'm your host, Kat Elias, here with your co-host, Manny Elias. Hello. And you're joining us for a special episode today that is just in time for the Pro-Life March this upcoming weekend. You're joining us for an episode titled, Opening Up the Pro-Life Discussion. And to open up the discussion on pro-life, to help you open up the discussion, we have an amazing guest that you've seen before, Gretchen Levesque. Yeah. Happy dance for you. You've seen her before on a recent episode. If you haven't checked it out, go and check it out. Intentional Relationships for Christ. Today, I want to remind you a few things about our podcast. This podcast is sponsored by and part of Beautifully Rooted, which is a Christian mental health and education corporation. And this show, The Rooted and Edified Show, is a fun-loving, no-facade, conservative Christian worldview show for both men and women who want to hear real-life testimonies, discuss interesting topics, hear from talents within the church, and also discuss theology, of course. We want to help you deepen your relationship with Christ and grow mature in your walk. As a reminder, we put out both a video and audio podcast. So whichever is your preference, there's something available to you. And if you're excited and want to dive deeper into what we're doing here, you want to help support us, or you want to volunteer to help us, we would love to hear from you. Check out our website, www.beautifullyrooted.com, which is spelled B-E-Y-O-U. Now, let's jump in and welcome our special guest, Gretchen Levesque, who we're so happy to have you join us today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Let me tell you a little bit about Gretchen. She is married to Jean for almost 30 years. 30 years. All right. And she has three college-age students. Gold medal for you for that one, too. <laughs> They're all girls. And now she works doing marketing and design for their family real estate business, which is Suncrest Realty. You're going to want to check that out. She also volunteers for a local nonprofit in California and serves on their board as the marketing director. She and her husband, Jean, have led life groups. They've launched a pro-life ministry and are active pro-life advocates in the community. And we're so glad that you're here joining this discussion to help us with that discussion with everyone else. So Gretchen, would you mind telling us more about yourself and how you got involved in the pro-life discussion? Wow. I just want to say thank you so much for having me back. It was so much fun the first time around. And now I get to be back here again talking about this topic that's super important to me and that I'm really passionate about. You know, how I got started just being a pro-life advocate was somewhere around high school, I found myself being drawn to church community. I was meeting Christians, and I didn't really have a strong background in faith. And so I came to the Lord, started reading the Bible, and I was all in from day one, somewhere around 16, 17. Upon going to church for the, really the first time consistently, I was involved in a ministry and they had brought in a, a guest speaker and they did a pro-life presentation to us, some high school and college people. I saw a video and I think it was called Silent Scream or one of those. And they did this little pro-life presentation and it was just a short video, but it showed what abortion really is in its rawest form. It was so riveting to me, and it made me recall, like, when I was in high school, seeing graphic images of, let's say, the Holocaust or other things or, like, lynchings when that was happening here in our own country. And the way that the use of graphic images, even though this clip was very short, when I was in high school, it was so impacting to me. I just made a decision from that day forward. I cannot be silent on this issue. If this abortion is really happening and it really looks like this, 
I have got to equip myself to be able to, I didn't even know what, warn people. I, I didn't know what, but that was when I decided. So that happened when I was in high school. And then what started happening was I started making some connections to my own personal history. And with that, I, I, had, I had always known that, you know, my parents had me when they were really young. My mom was in high school. I knew my story, but I didn't see the connection. And so what I was recalling, and I talked to my mom a little bit, I was born in 1971. Abortion was not legal in 71. It was legalized in 73. Abortion on demand, it was, it became legal. I mean, it's always been legal under really special circumstances, right? But abortion on demand was 1973, Roe versus Wade, Doe versus Bolton, Supreme Court made these decisions. But in 71, my mom, when she thought she was pregnant, she went to her doctor, family physician, and to get this verified that she was indeed pregnant, and she was. Part of her story is, is that he had a great and wonderful plan for her life that did not include me, Hmm. her doctor. She had some level of harassment from him about this is what you should do. But she knew from day one that that was not what she was going to do, that she was going to go ahead and have me. Was she a teen mom? mom? Yeah, she was in high school. So she made that courageous choice. And to her, she said it wasn't really a choice. It was like she knew what she was going to do. She was not going to abort. And my dad was right there with her, ready to parent together. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really grateful. With this experience when I was in high school and saw what could have been my fate, I just always felt a sense of being spared. Even without my personal history, I have to say, though, that film, seeing what abortion really is with my own two eyes, that was really what made it happen. What a great reminder that the youth can be impacted, that it does make a difference, and that they should know about this subject and how it can propel them forward to become an advocate themselves. Yes. So that's great. Can you let us know also more about this weekend, since this episode is in honor of the Pro-Life Weekend? What should people be looking out for? What is even a Pro-Life Weekend? Every January is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. So that's why in January, many churches and organizations recognize this and commemorate it. And so there's a March for Life that happens in Washington, D.C., and then other smaller March for Life events happen in, like, there's one in Sacramento and other big cities throughout the nation. So that's going on. There's also another event. If, do you mind if I tell you about a local event? Yes. yes in California, we're going to have an event called Love Life California. It's January 29th. You can still sign up if you want to. It's called Love Life California. It's at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And they're going to have a whole lineup all day of fantastic mm. speakers. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm going to be there. All ages are welcome? Or? Oh, yeah. All ages are welcome. It's a big, huge conference. I'm bringing my whole family and a bunch of other people yeah. are coming. So I'm really excited about that event. Before we jump in to having discussions with others about opening up discussions with loved ones about the subject of protecting the unborn with our fabulous guest, Gretchen, I would like to start off our discussion with some theology to better understand why we need to protect the unborn. So I have a couple of questions for my lovely and handsome co-host, Manny Elias and husband, of course. Now, granted, I know that I'm asking you to discuss such a big topic in such a small amount of time, but I think you'll be up for the challenge. In the future, we will likely have an episode specifically on this, which we'll dive in deeper, but now we'll try to cover the in-depth topic in a small amount of time. So 
Manny, can you give us a brief general overview and help us understand what does God's word really say about protecting the unborn? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, you know, thank you to, to Gretchen as well for being here. It's such a pleasure to have her. And, and I think this is something that has always been a burning subject in my heart as well. I remember in very intimate moments of my life when I converted to Christ, praying to the Lord and, and suddenly feeling a overwhelming sensation of pain and burden. I remember that day when I was praying and the Lord just started putting in my heart all the unborn children. And I didn't have any kids yet, but I do remember feeling God's broken heart over the issue and how it broke God's heart. And even though I wasn't really into the pro-life movement or anything, for me, what captivated me more towards that subject is scripture, is the word of God. And I began to see certain parallels in, in the Bible that you were discussing earlier of the slaughter of the innocent. And I just couldn't help but thinking of all those innocent babies crying and how I couldn't hear them but the one who was moving my heart to pray about it could hear them. So I think one of the first things that I like to look at when I think of scripture and any subject, regardless of the topic that it is, is you know what the scripture says about it from a Christian worldview. So we don't find the term abortion itself in scripture. When we use the term abortion, it's a subtly selected word by the world to disguise what the gravity of the sin, which is murder. Um, we think of aborting a plan. We think of aborting a mission. When I think of the word abortion, that's what I think of, like of a Navy SEAL mission, a mission abort. Yes. I don't think of it for a, a child. And I think that the world has cleverly selected that word to mitigate the gravity of the sin. And I think as believers, we have to see it for what it is. And we know that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, murder itself is definitely condemned. A Christian should never participate in murder. And I think one of the a clear distinction that definitely has to be made when you think of the commandment in Exodus that thou shalt not murder is also that it says murder, not necessarily killing. And I think a lot of times in order to try to debunk that and label us as single issue voters is that they would try to say something like, well, how could you be against abortion and call that murder? And yet you're, for example, for the death penalty or something which are totally distinct things. I think one of them has to do with guilty life, with somebody who has committed grave crimes that deserve capital punishment, versus an innocent life, and not just an innocent life, but the most innocent life among us. Vulnerable. The most vulnerable, correct, defenseless life. And I think that when you read the scripture from the Psalms through prophets, God uses so many beautiful imagery of a baby inside the womb, whether it's King David saying, you formed me in my mother's womb, or whether he's telling Jeremiah, before you were even born, I called you and I selected you and I chose you. It speaks of the intricate relationship that God has with us even before we're born. God already has a relationship with us, or rather we have a relationship with him. So to think of those passages in scripture and think that there is any type of decree that legalizes or makes it lawful for the mother to take that life, to me is not just something that's abhorrent, it's, it's, it's an abomination. But I think where it really draws the line is where you have people within the church that are not just, I won't say necessarily themselves participating in it, but condoning it or sweeping it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I think it's clear in scripture, whether you look at the Old Testament or the New Testament, that it's definitely something that's condemned in the Bible. Now, is one stance on abortion a matter of Christianity? Should being Christian mean that you should be pro-life? Absolutely. When we trivialize something, and we politicize it and say, well, that's because you're Christian left or Christian right. There is no such thing in the Bible. Right. In the Bible, you're Christian, mm -hmm. period. 
That should be our first and foremost identity, that we seek to establish the Word of God in the world, not just for ourselves, but because we really do believe that following the Word of God makes for a better world. And a lot of times we think we can't legislate morality, but in reality, we do legislate. That's what all laws do. Absolutely. All laws legislate some form of morality. Absolutely. And I think it's definitely from a a biblical perspective, I don't think a Christian has the choice of being pro-life or not. I think anyone who has the Holy Spirit in them and has the life of Christ in them is automatically going to be pro-life. Another passage that I definitely always think of when it comes to abortion is when Jesus is preaching and children want to approach him and the disciples try to hinder the children from approaching Jesus. Jesus commanded them and said, don't hinder the children from coming to me. And then right after that, Jesus says, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for him to tie a millstone around his neck and cast himself into the sea. And I think sometimes we try to create an analogy of that with regards to the little children, meaning anybody that's a new convert. But I also just, the way I see it literally referring to little children, when Jesus literally took a little child and set him on his lap, I think Jesus also has little children in mind, especially the tiniest among us. But just the way God had a relationship with us before we were born, God has a relationship with them before they're born. And I think that's something that we should highlight in the church and definitely be more aware of and say not just in our prayers, but also what would I do if somebody physically wanted to harm one of these little children? That's powerful, Manny. I'm so encouraged to hear the scriptures that you brought forth. I have some scriptures that have come to mind as well. And as I was preparing for this, I found so many scriptures that speak to this issue of life. For someone to divorce the topic of abortion from the scriptures or our Christian life, that's a travesty. So I'm so glad that we're addressing it today. And I think just to clarify as well, there's a lot of analogies in scripture that use certain relationships to define God and how he loves us. And one of the greatest ones that I see is where God is likened to the love of a mother, a mother for her child. Because even in societies, in different cultures, we always highlight that as the greatest type of love. We even say things like, nobody loves like a mother. And in the scripture, God uses that of himself. There is a passage that really strikes me where God uses this particular relationship as an example of his love for us. And it's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 15, that says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion of the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Meaning, even in this case, especially of abortion, the love of the mother, that should be the greatest of loves. Something happens in the human mind and something happens where our wires are crossed. The enemy steps into the mind and crosses our wires so much that a mother would go against her own nature, that nature that we celebrate so much, even in the animal kingdom. Like, oh man, you're like a mother bear, for example. How she would fight for her cubs. And yet when it comes to a human mother, God himself says this and says, can she forget the child that she gives birth to? And in this case, can she forget even her unborn child in the womb? And even though God says, yes, that can happen, yet I will never forget you. And there's one thing that definitely drives us is that God, even if the mother does, still loves that child and doesn't forget that child. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for all of that. So important to know. I know we're excited to jump in now into this discussion now that we've had this background. 
Okay, Gretchen, I know there's so much to discuss today, so let's jump in. I think I wanna discuss it in five parts, if that's okay with you. First, let's make sure we understand the terms that we're talking about. Second, let's discuss the topic of protecting the unborn and why it's important for the average saint church member to have with others. Third, let's address some of the jitters and barriers that may get in the way. Fourth, maybe you can help us construct how we can have these conversations practically. And lastly, maybe you can give us some more resources. That sounds fantastic. All right, good. Do you think we understand these terms, abortion, pro-life, pro-choice pretty well? Do we put ourselves in the right category or do we often get it wrong? Yes, yes, and yes to all those things. I think one thing, if I could just take a slight pause to bring up one scripture that I wanted to add to Manny's. Whenever my husband and I would do pro-life presentations or do a Q&A session or something, I like to bring up this verse because anyone that's tuning in now, abortion has its way of finding a place in each one of our lives. So it may be a personal story that we have, or it could be a loved one, a way that we may have participated in some way offering a ride, letting someone loan some money or whatever. This touches pretty much everybody in one way or another. And so before we go any further, the scripture, 1 John 1, 9, I think is so impacting. I just want to say this verse because it screams out to us as a foundation to this whole conversation, especially for us as Christian people talking to other Christian people, okay? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. I love that passage. That word all means all. This includes the sin of abortion. Amen. And Jesus is eager to forgive the sin of abortion. One of the reasons why I was so excited to come here and I couldn't sleep last night was because I know that there's people that are going to be listening to this, that actually this is the, what they need to hear today. They need to hear the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he paid such a high price for is to forgive us of all sin Absolutely. when we repent. And I think also, Gretchen, sometimes people may even associate a certain type of sin that they've committed, especially in the case of abortion, as if it were the impardonable sin. And yet, like you just said there, that's what First John teaches us, that he cleanses us from every sin, right. including the sin of abortion. Absolutely. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. Mm. Buddha can't do that. Mohammed can't do that. No one else can do that. Psychologist, not a psychiatrist. Absolutely, absolutely not. Only Jesus can. But we can be restored. Anyone can have forgiveness and c complete assurance in Christ of Absolutely. their salvation and not have to worry about this thing. Absolutely. Some people have participated in some way or another, funding an abortion, giving someone a ride or encouraging a friend or in whatever way, or you yourself. And Jesus came to forgive that. This is foundational for the rest of our discussion. We don't have this discussion to make someone feel guilty or to heap guilt upon the church or the listener here. We're doing this because when we come in the name of Jesus, we want to come like light in darkness. When it comes to abortion, there is so much darkness and so much cover up in the culture and, and even in the church, we're guilty of this as well, of not talking about it, not having open discussion about it, even amongst ourselves in, in little groups. 
or openly, a lot of times, not all, some churches are great about this. It varies quite a bit. So I don't want to be overly condemning here, but there can be more freedom in this area. People who need forgiveness, people who are abortion minded, people who don't have the support that they need. They need to know that the church is going to walk with them through this. That is what we are about. We cannot shame people to the point or make people feel like this is the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable sin for someone to become pregnant within the church. We have to be able to address these things and say, we will walk with you through all the difficult parts of life, and we will point you to Scripture. We will point you to Jesus. So sometimes this problem stays covered up within the church because there's shame associated with it. I heard of a story that was a real life thing that happened. A pastor's daughter becomes pregnant. She goes to a clinic to get some counsel. She decides with her and her mom that they're going to go ahead and keep this from the pastor dad and get an abortion for this daughter because they don't want to bring shame to their father or to the church. They just don't want to deal with it. So they're just going to make it go away. And this actually happened. And now, not at our church. This was a remote story that I heard through another pro-life person, but it actually happens. We love our facade more than we love life or, or something. I don't know. I don't know what the, I'm not going to say what someone's motives are, but I'm going to say, if we keep not talking about it in the church, then more of this stuff will continue to happen in secret. And I think that's what scripture commands us to do in the book of Ephesians, where Paul says, do not participate in the works of darkness, but rather rebuke them and expose them. You want to bring them into the light. You want to continue to walk in the light. And sometimes part of continuing to walk in the light is exposing these things that go on in the dark and offering that light to those people that are probably participating in them. Right. Okay, I have another scripture for you. Do you mind if I bring up another scripture? Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When we talk about abortion, when we have this discussion, when we talk about anything related to this topic, knowing that the conduct that we are to have is always to be in love and it's always to be with grace, that our speech has grace in it. One of the foundational things about being a pro-life advocate, someone who advocates for life, is that your demeanor, we are to be about love. Getting back to what you said, Kat, you said that we wanted to cover some some definitions. Do we use those terms correctly? Pro-life, pro-choice. Do you think we always put ourselves in the right category? Terms, this goes for any form of communication. Sometimes one person may mean something and then another person may mean something else. Generally speaking, when people say that they are pro-life, what they're meaning is that they oppose abortion and euthanasia. So that's killing before birth and then killing at the end of life. But it's intentional killing of someone. Where would someone who says, I wouldn't have an abortion, but I don't want to stand in somebody's way and make a decision for them. Would they be pro-life, which is what I do believe a lot of Christians believe they are when they have that stance? That 
kind of middle of the ground thing where it's like, I'm against abortion, but I wouldn't want to tell someone else what to do. Someone might call that personally opposed to abortion argument or middle of the road pro-choice argument. I would just say that's a pro-choice view because it's saying if the circumstances are really hard and it's your decision anyways, and it's your body or your situation, then I'm not going to tell you what to do. At first, it kind of sounds compassionate. It may even sound kind of Christian, just like, well, I don't want to impose my views on you. But actually, this is how the logic of it, if you play it out a little bit and you think about the logic of it, would we say that about something else, say wife abuse? Personally, I don't believe that abusing your wife in the privacy of your own home is something that I should do. But I certainly don't want to tell somebody else that they can't abuse their wife. That's kind of what we get into with this. And this view, this middle of the road pro-choice view is actually rampant in the church. And some of you who are listening to me right now may even carry that view and that you don't even really know that you carry that view. I am so glad that you are listening today or watching today. That's what we get to do is we just get to think about all these things in a non-judgmental way and just take the conversation a little bit deeper and be like, hey, how can my view align more with scripture and God's heart? That's great because I think that is part of our goal here is to help people to really attain a biblical worldview. One may be a Christian and genuinely love the Lord emotionally. You have that feeling for Jesus. But until you really start getting into the Word of God and dealing with these issues with the Bible, you begin to realize sometimes how, wait a minute, even though my emotions are all for Christ, but I don't know if my mind is other for Christ yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those commandments in the Old Testament, where actually it's part of the Shema, the commandment of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6.4. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I think that that's one of those things where part of loving God has to do with our mind, has to do with our intellect, has to do with the way we think about life, and especially these issues of life. Yeah. And you're right, trying to bring them into harmony with having a Christian worldview. Maybe two more terms real quickly might be pro-life advocate versus pro-life activist. The way that I would look at it it is is an advocate for the pro-life position would be someone who's just advocating for something in their normal course of their life. And a pro-life activist might be someone who's more front lines, protesting events, Mm -hmm. lobbying, political action, something along those lines. I would submit, and I'll make a case for it a little bit later as we go, but that God expects, calls, and commands each one of us to be pro-life advocates. That leads me into my next question. Is this a topic that all believers need to address? Yes, because we get it from Scripture, because nothing else matters except for what God's Word says. He speaks before we speak. Absolutely. So let's let Him speak. In Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly defend the rights of the poor and needy. In Jeremiah 22, 3, it says, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right, rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed, do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. These are two scriptures that we get from our Judeo-Christian background, our roots in Judaism that go way, way back of this is what God commands us to do. 
were commanded to intervene for the helpless. This is why I personally concentrate more on keeping myself sharp on pro-life topics as opposed to other human rights violations that are totally valid out there. I am so glad that there are brothers and sisters who are fighting against sex trafficking and advocating for homeless issues, whatever it might be. I am so grateful for them. This is why I want to remain sharp because there's laws that protect many other marginalized parts of the population. But right now, our laws allow the killing of innocent Mm. human beings. So now our laws may be changing. We're going to hear from the Supreme Court in probably around about June. But I'm going to tell you what, even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortion is still going to be legal in this land. There just might be some limits federally, but then it's going to go to the states. The states are still going to decide. The biggest problem is that people still choose abortion. Whether it's legal or not, people still choose it. That's where you and I come in because we can help change the culture. If the culture doesn't demand it, it won't happen whether there's laws against it or not. So I am very grateful for those that are lobbying and doing great things politically to help change the laws and stuff. I'm staying in my lane and I want to make a difference in my own community. I want to start within the church. Do we think biblically about abortion? How can we support one another? How can we protect not only the unborn, but how can we protect women from making Amen. these choices? Because women do regret abortion. Not every single one, but cats out of the bag. Women do regret abortion. One of the reasons, Kat and Manny, that I got involved in wanting to be a pro-life advocate is because I ran into some people that were so dear to me that had confided in me that they had had abortions and they regretted them terribly. Mm. When I heard them, I'm like, God gave me the gift of gab. He gave me a big mouth and a strong opinion. And so I am going to use it, praise God, to his glory to further something that I can do. Now, not everybody has the speaking ability that I have. Not everybody can get up behind a microphone and do a speech or a lecture or whatever. It doesn't matter. You can take whatever gift God has given you and you can implement it toward this cause in one way or another. Some of you who are listening out there, you're like, oh, I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have time. But one thing you have is you have a lot of money. If that's you, I would say find a good charity that does pro-life work and donate. Because a lot of us, I don't have a bunch of money to give, but these pro-life organizations, they really have nothing to sell. They're selling training or they're selling this or that. There's no product really in this line mm. of work. And even pregnancy resource centers, they don't make any money. They live off the charity of others because this is what happens. Planned Parenthood and these other organizations that are providing abortions and killing children, there's lots and lots of money in that mm. from insurance yes, companies, from the government, from our own pockets. We're funding them. They have tons of money that they're making. But in the pro-life movement, we got nothing. So those of you that can't do anything else except for give financially, I'd say give. Find a place. I have no vested interest. I'm not representing anybody. I'm just saying you can use your gift. If you know how to do a website, I know of a great charity right now that's looking for a website. They can't afford for a website to be done. But whatever your gift is, when you pray and you seek it out, you will be able to use your gifts. But at minimum... I would say every Christian needs to be able to have a simple conversation about this topic. And that's the core of what where the rest of our direction is going in this talk is, how can I become equipped in some simple ways to be able to be a pro-life advocate? Well, you can. And even if you don't have the gift of gab like I've got, 
You can still talk with people that are in your family. You can still talk with friends. You can still talk with your children. You're, maybe you're raising little ones right now. Maybe you have grandchildren that you have influence over. You can have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with someone and knowing some things, getting yourself educated with some basics, with some of the resources we're going to give later, that is the core of you becoming impassioned enough to share it with somebody else. Exposing yourself to more of the information, and I dare even say visual images, it will inspire you to do something. And then you pray and you're like, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm getting this information and I'm educating myself with some of these resources or I'm listening to some podcasts, I'm reading a book, whatever it is that you want to do in the quiet and privacy of your own home. You pray the Lord will bring people to you. I promise you, if you equip yourself, he will use you. And is there a specific who that we should be speaking to? Or is this just in general, we need to have these conversations with all of our loved ones? When you share life with the people around you, you talk about whatever's important to you. When you get exposed to something, then you end up talking about it. These conversations will happen naturally, but I can give some pointers on some things. Let's say you're a grandparent or you know, you're a parent of a student who's junior high age. Let's say you have access to a junior hire. You could ask them just some questions. Asking questions is a fantastic way to having conversation because it's showing interest in the other person. It's laying down this foundation of mutual respect. Being a pro-life advocate, when it kind of turns into a monologue where you're like, you know, la, 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 la. <laughs> nobody wants that. You want to have a discussion. You want to show mutual respect. Asking a junior higher, so do you guys ever talk about political issues in school? Oh, okay. Do you guys ever do, you know, mock debates or anything like that? Does the abortion issue ever come up? What's that like in your school? I can guarantee you one thing, sidebar, guarantee you one thing. People are already talking about it in junior high. Hmm. Junior hires have heard the word. They may not know what it means exactly. Some of them will. Some junior hires have already had an abortion. Okay. So this is really foundational is asking questions. Anyone that you find yourself hanging out with, you could ask them a question about, oh, so that new college class that you're taking, does this issue ever come up? Or like, oh, I heard you're taking government this year. Does the abortion issue ever come up? Like, what are people's perspectives on that? What do you think about it? How did you come to that conclusion? In a time when men and their role and their importance and value are pushed so much out by society to the side and made trivial or not important, almost trying to erase them, we must ask the question, are men allowed into these conversations? Well, yes. It's going to be not as politically correct for certain people to speak on certain issues. That is just the way it is in our culture right now. But you know what? Forget them. You don't have to go along with what's politically correct. Of course, men have a voice. They absolutely do. Legally, they have almost no rights whatsoever. Mm. So sorry, Manny. That's just the way the laws are set up. It's super sad. It's heartbreaking when there is a man who has an abortion-minded girlfriend or wife. And he wants to keep the baby? He has no rights mm. whatsoever. It's tragic. And I've run into some men in the past who are so traumatized by an experience that they went through that, that they're like, don't know what to do with themselves. So does this affect men? It absolutely does. Not every man is going to react that way, but some do. But should they be participating in the discussion? Absolutely. And how much we'll, impact can they have if dads are speaking with their kids? 
about this? This is one thing I was going to say, because one thing I think that is really important is tactics. And that is just how we can conduct ourselves in the wisest, most productive way when we have conversations. And I'm just going to share a resource right now. So I'm not sharing them all at once, but this book right here is Tactics by Greg Kokel. He has been a huge influence in my life and in shaping my Christian convictions in that I follow him as he follows Christ, you know, so to speak. And it's just that he has such a great way with being able to take the concepts that we are to represent as Christians, the gospel, namely, number one, and then other really important issues like abortion. And how can we lovingly, graciously, wisely go about having these conversations? And that's where this book Tactics comes in. So I've learned a lot of the points that I say and what I do and what I practice is from the models in this book. So I highly recommend it. But one of the things that he talks about is about asking questions. And one tactic that I think is effective that he doesn't mention in the book is that men in this discussion talking with other men is a really powerful Mm. place. Now, I'm not saying that men can't talk with women because I've seen it happen plenty really good conversations, especially when you have your body language not threatening, when you have your facial expressions not threatening, when you're asking questions and you're listening, you're curious about what the other person has to say. You're not worried about being misunderstood. You're there to listen and to interject and to point out different ways of thinking about something. When a man comes in heavy-handed, just like a woman, but even more so for the man, you are more apt to be silenced because it's culturally popular to do that. Just like if I wanted to talk about, as a white middle-class woman, if I wanted to talk about certain other things, then I'm not going to have as much of a voice just the way that the culture is right now. But if I conduct myself really well, I might have a greater chance of being heard. Kat and Manny, men influencing other men is so important in this issue. Mm. The the culture has dominated it with this voice, very loud voice. This is a women's issue. This is a political issue. Hogwash. This is a human issue. <laughs> this is an issue of life or death. This is an issue that affects everybody. And it is not a politics has hijacked the conversation on abortion. Good point. This is not a political. Don't let anyone silence you from talking about abortion because they are labeling it as a political issue. Hogwash. It is a human issue. Yeah, We're talking about the survival of the unborn. We're talking about people being wounded by a procedure that's legal and is causing the statistics say all kinds of PTSD, infertility. I mean, all kinds of things that are happening because of this. I just say in the culture that we're in, if you conduct yourself very wisely and kindly and the grace that is talked about in Colossians 4, then you will make more headway. But the influence that men have on other men to be righteous with their own personal sexuality to have a high level of sincerity in their personal relationship with Christ, with sexual integrity, that is the foundation of a pro-life position, Hmm. is sexual morality. It takes two to tango. We know where babies come from. But when men can talk more freely and openly, especially with younger men within the church about sexual integrity, 
we wouldn't have much of an abortion problem, would we? That's correct. That's a very good point. Maybe if you could just give us just a thought or two of just someone who is ready, they're feeling filled, that they need to have these conversations, they know who they want to have these conversations with, but they're just feeling a little bit jittery. Do you have just a thought or two that maybe you can just encourage them? Okay, well, feeling jittery about this topic is just welcome to the club because that's just the way that it goes. Here's the thing. We're talking to, we're Christians. We're talking to other Christians for the most part. Being a Christian is an upstream, salmon swimming upstream Mm. life. When you sign up to be a Christian, it means that you're going to be following Christ. It means you follow his ways. Who cares about what you believe? If you, anyone can believe, the demons can believe. A Christian is someone who follows Christ, which means you follow his ways. We show our love for Christ in our obedience to him. When we speak up about the gospel, the, the gospel message in and of itself is divisive. It's saying, wow, we're all sinners in need of a savior, and Jesus is that savior, and there's no other. Let me tell you more about that. The gospel itself, I'm speaking within within the body here, the gospel itself is offensive. It has offense, absolutely. Christianity on sexuality is very narrow and it's very offensive to the world. Our stand, which Christianity alone champions, our Judeo-Christian heritage champions on abortion, is countercultural. If you want to avoid discomfort, Christianity might not be the thing for you. I don't know really else how to put that. But the call of Christ is so worth any amount of discomfort. We find meaning and purpose and hope and salvation in Christ alone. And when he calls us to something, it's so worth it. It makes it, it invigorates your life to live for him and to share his truth of his gospel to share his truth of whatever it might be on these other issues of life that are narrow and difficult. They're beautiful. And those that are being drawn to God will listen. They will hear. There's a scripture I want to share with you that is really encouraging to me. I love it because it ministers to my soul often when I'm feeling discouraged, when I, because I do, I feel discouraged sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to have disunity with someone. I feel that draw in a conversation of like, I I want to ask a couple of questions here. And I know that it might get a little, but I know, Lord, help me. And I just pray a really quick prayer in my head. Lord, please help me right now to know what to say. And sometimes it may cause some ruffled feathers, but this is the scripture that soothes my soul. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But check out the second part. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That's John 15, 20. So he's saying, look, there's going to be some that they're going to persecute you. Because if they persecuted me, of course, they're going to persecute you too. Because you're standing for the same stuff I did. But then he's also saying, but then those who keep my word, they'll also keep yours. Because there's just some that are drawn to the ways of God and some aren't. No matter what you do. Some people will not listen to you. That is correct. No matter how eloquent, no matter how good you could explain it, you're absolutely right. Well, now let's jump into more about how to have this conversation as best we can. I know, you keep coming around to that, don't you, As we can. (laughs) You've already helped us with discussing how we can get that started, which is through a lot of questions. Can you give us some more practical tips on how to get this going? Is there a format that we should construct our discussion? 
Anything in particular we should keep in mind as we take these first steps? This is probably one of the simplest parts of this discussion. We've had all this kind of foundational stuff that we've been able to discuss today. What my goal in being able to share with the listeners and the viewers today is the motivation to get up out of our comfy chairs and to do something along these lines and become a pro-life advocate and why it needs to be done in the church, how the tactics of it, many of them are going to be covered in this book right here. It's a good title then. I mean, I can come back and do a podcast on tactics if you want. I'm just saying the tactical methods to use to communicate interpersonally are fantastic. Now, what to actually do and what to actually say, there's no way that I can cover that. I would love to discuss with you, okay, well, what about when the topic of rape comes up? What about, you know, rape and incest? What about the sovereign zone of, well, my body, my choice? I'd love to be able to discuss those with you, but here's what I want to do. I want to point you to the most fantastic resources that I've come across that have been so helpful for me. And what each person needs to do is they need to just own this. One way you can own this more is to have a personal motivation to listen to this podcast and then go do something on your own time to educate yourself about this issue. That is what is going to motivate you to have the conversations and to develop tactical ways of being able to start the conversations is if you have a desire. The desire will come when you educate yourself about what the facts are. So I want to give you a really practical first step to take in getting yourself educated and becoming a pro-life advocate. And that is go to YouTube and do a search on YouTube and just type in, this is abortion video. This is abortion video. When you do that, a lot of videos will come up. Some of them are going to be like, drawings about abortion procedures. Some of them might be a little bit graphic, but YouTube really screens out a lot of the really graphic stuff. You need to know what abortion is before you can talk about it. Now, when I've talked with people on college campus in LA, I was up there once with one of these training groups that I got trained by Justice for All. And I had a discussion with someone and and we had a brochure there and there were some graphic images inside the brochure. This couple, a young man and young woman had come to me and they had said, oh, you know, we believe they took the middle of the road pro-choice view, actually. We're not cool with it, but we don't want to tell other people that they can't. And I'm like, really? Okay. Um, So we had some discussion, asked them some questions. I said, you know, if you wouldn't mind, inside this brochure has some graphic images in it. Have you ever seen graphic images of abortion violence before? And they had said, no. I mean, I know what abortion is, but I've never seen it. I said, well, if you want to stay with your pro-choice view, or if you're open to a pro-life view, either way, do you think that it's reasonable to have seen what it is that we're talking about? Because then at least you'll be able to know visually Mm. what it is that we're discussing, whether depending on what side you want to take is your ultimate decision. And they said, yeah. And so I said, well, here's the brochure. You can break the seal on the brochure and open it up if you'd like. And so I said, sure, I will. And they both stood back and they looked at it and the girl could not even speak. The young man looked at it. I mean, they looked at it for probably four seconds, closed it. And the gentleman said, I cannot support abortion. Upon seeing one picture, this couple was totally changed. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to continue. I'm not, I'm, I don't know what happened to that couple, but I know that when they were confronted with, and the, reality. with the reality 
of what it, it wasn't this ethereal topic that we're discussing or some debate that's happening on this college campus. It was this is what abortion violence looks like. There's another website that I really, really like called abort73. Dot com abort73.com. And there, because they're not going through YouTube, they're able to show different films there. They're really short. If you're doing this on your own time, you're giving consent to do it. You're not spring. You would never want to spring something like this on someone. Now, when we would do presentations, we did one or we trained some people to do one at the high school group at our church. And those high schoolers, and we tell them before, hey, we're going to be showing a video. It's going to be coming up. It's 25 seconds long or something, but you don't have to watch it. If you don't want to, you can close your eyes. They would usually all would want to see it. That one time that we did that at our church, there was a baby saved. And that film was shown once at our church. And this is what happened. She was pregnant that day when she saw that video. She did not know that she was pregnant. But when she saw that video, she said, I will never do that. I will never do that. That next week, she found out that she was pregnant and she had that baby. Let me tell you something else. Her best friend, she got pregnant at the same time. She did not go to that youth group meeting that night. She did not see that video. Guess what happened? She aborted her child. Now, would you recommend that the people listening here that are opening up these discussions, that they share those images or do they fill it out first? In my situation that I had shared with you was a special situation that I had access to a brochure where someone was giving consent to see it. And when I was at this college campus, these were students that were coming to a display that I was trained to stand in front of and to have engaged in conversation. This is one of the trainings that I did. That was a fantastic opportunity. Most people in your everyday life, you're not going to have that opportunity. But if you're having a conversation with someone and it's actually going somewhere, or maybe a repeated conversation that you're having with someone, maybe a second or third, I don't know, whatever, you can always just, I just call it the video challenge of just asking somebody, have you ever mm. seen images of abortion? And let me just tell you straight up, this is very disheartening. Some people will not care. And I think sometimes the way the world tries to present abortion, ironically, even though they call it something good to where they'll even come up with this slogan, right? Shout your abortion. Sell these shirts that say shout your abortion and have all these celebrities celebrating their abortions. Ironically, when it comes to social media and showing the graphic images of the reality and the gravity of abortion, they will forewarn you. Warning, these images might affect you if your discretion advised, because they know how horrific it is. They know how terrible it is. Right. Yet, you know, it's so ironic. Mm -hmm. Yet, they don't want you to see those images. They'll even prevent your post from being spread or from more people Correct. viewing it, right? Like Instagram, for example. Yet, they know the darkness that they're promoting. I like how you brought up the question of, it's up to you just on what decision you want to make and which side you want to fall on. But would you like to know more about what we're talking about anyway? Wouldn't It would be fair, right? to be able to have a better visual understanding to make that choice. What I said specifically to them was, do you think it's fair to have seen a picture of what it is that you support before you continue to support it? I think that's a great practical tip in the right place in these discussions that somebody could utilize. So you were talking about practical tips about how to start conversations. I had mentioned a few minutes ago about Engaging with the young people in your life about school, that's a great one, is just asking about the classes that they're taking and does this topic ever come up? What do you think about this topic? 
with someone who's a contemporary of yours, a lot of times it'll be a circumstantial thing that may come up. They may know someone, you find out about someone. I really can't say how to bring it up out of nowhere. When you have the desire, when you know a little bit, you educate yourself a little bit and you pray, God, open up a door for me to talk about this with the right person at the right time. He, I can say he will just be faithful to do that. But what some general guidelines is, you don't want to be weird. You don't want to be rude. And you want to be curious about asking questions to the best advantage that you can. But with all of these things in politics, and you can ask somebody about a current event, what do you think about the Supreme Court, about reviewing Roe versus Wade? What do you think about that? And I know we talked about this not being a political issue. Technically, I don't believe that it is. However, it is in politics quite a bit. It's not exclusively a political issue, but you can always bring up a, a news headline. News headlines are fantastic for starting mm. conversations. Some of your conversations, though, they're going to be a personal thing where someone is confiding in you. Those kinds of conversations, it's so important to be praying while you're talking and to just be a really good listener because usually what's done is done already and sharing the love of Christ with them and the freedom that they can find in Christ. It's like the conversation is going to be very different when the circumstances are different. So you just put on the wisdom from the Lord that he would give you, be praying, but equipping yourself with the resources is so important. And all I can say is he is so faithful. There are so few people who are willing to engage with their peers about this that if you equip yourself, people, I'm going to promise you, you will have conversations that will bear some kind of fruit. And also, I will promise you that you will suffer some level of persecution <laughs> because Jesus said you would. But the thing is, is that so who cares? So you have someone who knows you're pro-life, someone, you know, cats out of the bag. I'm pro-life. I'm not just a Christian, but I'm actually a pro-life Christian that cares about these things. But if they see your heart behind it and you make some good sense about you and you're not acting like a jerk, like some people do, don't do that. You don't want to stare. You don't want to reinforce someone's stereotypes about what a pro-life person is especially a pro-life Christian. So don't do that. And also, this is another key point. Don't stereotype someone else for being pro-choice. Don't be thinking these, this rhetoric or something that you've got in your head about what they're probably like or about what they're probably going to say. Don't do that. Just be curious and open to listen to people and to care for people. And speaking of resources, you've mentioned some amazing ones, the yeah. tactics, this website, the abort73.com. Abort73.com is a great resource for someone doing a research paper, lots of facts, lots of videos there. Abort73.com also has personal testimonies. But what I would say, the number one thing that someone can do that's an Instagram user to like get quickly educated while you're going through your feed is just pick up your phone right now and start following live action org. It's just live action org. And all of these are going to be in the show notes. So uh, you don't have to write them down right now if you don't want to. Follow Live Action and follow Equal Rights Institute. It's equal underscore rights underscore institute. Those two are my go-to 
sources for current information about how dialogue ideas, current events, all kinds of great information. There's videos, there's trainings available, especially with Equal Rights Institute. If you're looking for a book that you can read, this is a fantastic book. This is my go-to book right now. It's called Stand for Life. It's called A Student's Guide for Making the Case and Saving Lives. It's not just for students. It's for anyone. It's fantastic. Don't let the student thing throw you. Student of Christ. Yeah, Student of Christ. It's uh, John Enzer and Scott Klusendorf. These guys are on the cutting edge of this topic. And there's all the questions that you're asking right now about what in the case of this and what in the case of that and what if someone says this, it's all right here. Are there resources for younger children too? We basically had to adapt the information. There's probably something out there. I would probably go to Stand to Reason. Stand to Reason is headed up by Greg Kogel. He's the one that wrote this book. Stand to Reason, they're one of my key resources I wanted to recommend. STR.org is their website. If you search bioethics on STR.org, you'll find a ton of resources, including podcasts. They are tapped into a lot of resources and there may be something out there for children. I personally don't know of anything offhand. What I've done is I have adapted to their level. And Kat, you probably know this from your from your background in social work, answering the questions that they're asking. You don't want to give too much information to them, but you also don't want to give too little. Really at that age, they're not aware of what abortion is. But what you can do is you can be instilling these concepts of the value of life from very young, you can be talking about the scriptures, you can be talking about human identity in the womb in the various stages. And wow, isn't that amazing? And you talk about fetal development and all of those things. Those are instilling within your little ones that you're a person before you're born and that you're valuable. Wow. Thank you so much, Gretchen. That was a wealth of information. It was so helpful. Really glad that you're on here to share that and discuss this really important topic. And if now we jump into the scriptures section, you've mentioned so many. Manny and I would like to just bring up uh, one or two here, and then we will grab your takeaway. Manny, you want to share the scripture that you brought? Yes, it's Proverbs chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. And it says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold... We did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Let that sink in. Yes, absolutely. Once you know this and once you know, this is an issue that's an issue in God's heart as well. Once you know this, it's one of those things that you just can't ignore anymore. And I pray that that's what happens with our guests and uh, with us as well. Two scriptures that I think of that I brought today were was Psalm 139.13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So important it is and how God knits us together in the womb and how we are life. And also Luke 141. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just how important is it to recognize that that baby was able to recognize the baby in Mary's tummy. That the first person to recognize the Messiah was an unborn baby. While the Messiah was an unborn baby. While the Messiah was an unborn baby. <laughs> now, Gretchen, do you have a takeaway that you would like everybody to... Really short takeaway. Um, it's from the Tactics book by Greg Kokel, and it's just a guiding principle for me when sharing the gospel or really anything, and that is that the goal in having a conversation with someone is not to close the deal. The The goal in having a conversation is to just do a little bit of gardening 
plant some seed, maybe water some seed that someone else has planted. And just to make a little bit of progress, another way of looking at it is by putting a stone in someone's shoe, very small pebble of something to think about or to consider that someone has in their shoe now after having a conversation with you, that they will be uncomfortable walking around with that pebble in their shoe Mm. because maybe you brought up something provoking. Maybe you brought up something that makes them question their position a little bit. And if you can just do that, then that is progress and God can work with that. And maybe you'll have another conversation or maybe it'll be someone else, but you have made progress. And I think that's a a really awesome, realistic goal. Thank you so much, Gretchen. And thank you listeners and viewers for tuning in today. We hope that you enjoyed this show and got benefit from it. If you did, we would appreciate your support and subscribing and liking and following and sharing our information. And don't forget that we are on almost all podcast platforms and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You're going to find some extra things on there that you're going to love. And to close us out in prayer, would you mind Gretchen? Sure. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together to be able to talk about uh, issues that we know are close to your heart. Lord, we ask that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to go boldly with purpose and with love and grace on our tongue to have conversations with people. Lord, help us to have the courage to dive in and to learn more on our own with our time and to uh, be more equipped to help be salt and light in the world that we live in, Lord, and that we pray for those uh, conversations that will happen in the future, that you will speak through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We will see you later. Ciao. God bless.